Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good, man. I know he said it to you already, but I love saying that. That's one of my favorite things. I look forward to it every week is saying good morning to my church family. I love you guys so much, and I'm so excited for today. Uh, this past week, I was doing a little bit of research for my day job. Uh, I don't just work for the church. Um, I volunteer here, and so I have a day job to pay my bills, and uh, you may or may not know this about me, but I'm actually a salesman, uh, so you can never trust me. Uh, just kidding, um, but I'm a salesman in my day-to-day job. I actually sell HR software, um, and I love what I do, but I sell to HR people, um, which are probably some of the least fun people in the business world. No offense to the HR workers out there. Uh, I know we have some, that, one that just looked at me brokenhearted a little bit. Um, but they're a little bit more cut and dry. And uh, I have nothing against them. But when, when I'm selling, the Noah that they get on the phone is the Noah that I'm here at church, right? Like, I am just as energized and and loud uh, is the main one. Uh, and, and so several of the calls I'm on, like, I'm on go like this. Follow me. Hi, my name is Noah Colin with our Coral. How are you doing today? And I can tell you one thing. I have never in my entire time working for this company had a single person match my energy back. They have never once reciprocated the level of joy that I have on a day-to-day basis back to me. Uh, Most of the time, uh, I get answers like, man, I wish I had as much energy as you, or, uh, hey, I'm going to need you uh, to dial it back a little bit. (laughs) It it happens quite a bit, and if they're nice, I must, I I always assume that they're new, um, because they don't hate their job yet, Uh, but anyways, I get a lot of upset people. And so I was researching this last week to try to perfect my craft a little bit. And so I wanted people to be nicer to me, um, if I'm being honest. Uh, But I typed into Google how to be more effective as a salesperson. And you're like, Noah, where are you going? Follow me. Uh, So here's some of the things uh, that popped up when I typed how to be more effective in sales. One, point out something to show you're knowledgeable about the person you're calling. Two, offer a compliment. Who doesn't love a good compliment? Three, point out a current event. Four, find a common ground. Let them know that you're not the enemy. And five, tell a story. Uh, If I know one thing is if it works in sales, it's got to work in church, right? So I'm going to practice this on you guys. Hey, people. You guys look familiar. Do you go to West Des Moines Open Bible? That's our common ground. Uh, you look nice today, all of you. That's a compliment. Today is Sunday. That's a current event. <laughs> Last Sunday was Easter. And I did all of this in story form, which means you owe me the next 25 minutes to listen to what I have to say. Sound good? Awesome. I, I love it. <laughs> Actually, I, I read further down the article, and there's a, there's a big caution. It says, caution. Do not use more than one of these per call. Um, But what do they know anyways? We're going with it. I used all of them on you. Uh, We've been in our series, Teach Us How. We're in week four of it. And today I am so excited 
to continue that series. Uh, for those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Noah Bell. I serve as our Connections leader here at West Des Moines Open Bible. Um, uh, what is Connections? Connections is basically, I, I help you get plugged into two areas. Whether you're wanting to get plugged into the community with all the amazing things we have that go on throughout the week, or maybe you want to get plugged into serving. Uh, maybe you want to deal with my uh, hood rat children downstairs, or, or first impressions, or maybe you have a gifting for music. I, that is what I lead, is helping people get plugged into different ministry items. My wife, Julia, is right up here in the front row. She's beautiful. She runs our social media. Uh, we have two kids, Paisley Grace, who is three and a half, Paxton James, who turns two this week. So pray for us. That's enough about me, though. I know Andrew hit on it. Um, I got two things real quick. Last week was Easter. It was incredible. Uh, number one, I am so grateful to be a part of this church and what God is doing here at West Des Moines Open Bible. I am so thankful to be a part of this community. And number two is, can we give it up one more time for our children's workers, please? Like, I cannot thank them enough. Um, the work that, that they do is just incredible. Um, I was actually talking to Andrew last week after service uh, about how well his Easter message is going to flow into what I have to give you today. Uh, just to give you some context, I was actually supposed to speak the week before Easter. Um, everything was lined up on the calendar, and then we had some changes. Um, we had an awesome person named Jacob give a, a message that was um, a little bit last minute, not last minute, but like he added in, felt like he had a word that God gave him. Uh, and so we were like, yeah, let's do that. And, and so I'll be flexible. And I know that was God because the word that I'm going to give you today just works so well with Easter. He spoke on the king is on his throne. And the whole reason we celebrate Easter is to remember that Jesus was and is alive. Am I right? Man, I don't know about you, but if someone was killed in front of me and then comes back to life, I'm probably going to listen a little closely what they have to say next, right? And when Jesus dies on the cross and comes back to life, he gives us a portion of scripture, uh, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to read it to you because, uh, remember, you can't trust a salesman. Uh, and so we're going to be reading Matthew 28, 16 through 20, if you'd like to follow along. This is called the Great Commission. It goes like this, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, grab this, but some of them doubted. Hold up. Some of them doubted that it was Jesus. This to me is, uh, I'm, I'm trying to play, me and Jay were getting Starbucks this morning on our way to church, and I'm, I'm trying to play this through in my mind. How do you doubt that it's Jesus? I don't, I don't know if the disciples were, like, uh, gossiping a little bit. They're like, man, I remember uh, Jesus' beard was a little longer. Or uh, does he look a little malnourished? I mean, he did just die and raise from the dead. He'd probably be a little thinner, too, if that happened to you. Um, but they doubted that it was him. In verse 18, it said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven on earth. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given to you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of age. 
before I get going any further, I'd like to pray if you bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for the ability to gather together under this one roof. God, I pray that you would be in the mix. God, I pray that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be yours, that you would be with me, God, and that you would be with every single person under the sound of my voice, God. I thank you in advance for what you're doing in this church, your church, West Des Moines Open Bible. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The whole idea behind this series is to take a step back to understand the basics of following Jesus. This morning, I want to take the next 25 or so minutes to to open up with this idea of teach us how to witness. Say witness. I want to cover a couple ideas. What is witnessing? How to witness. Why should we witness? When should we witness? And where should we witness? That's the what, how, why, when, and where of witnessing. And to better understand what does this word witness mean, uh, let's look at a couple times where we see this word in our day-to-day life, right? Not in the Bible. When you get married, you need five signatures to get married, right? Bride, groom, pastor, and then you have two witnesses that sign the marriage certificate with you, right? They're, They're saying, hey, I was there. I saw you get married. The guys of this church, some of them, here on Thursday, have witnessed my incredible basketball skills. We've been doing some basketball. Ask uh, Ronald and Tony. I dropped 30 on them over the last couple weeks. This is, I mean, (laughs) there you you go. (laughs) Don't trust me. Um, But they've witnessed, uh, I'm kind of awesome. Uh... Or maybe, uh, maybe you caught a case and there was some witnesses in court that sent you to jail or prison. You know who you are. Maybe that one hit a little too deep. Uh, witness by definition in its noun form means this. A person who sees an event, typically a crime or accident take place. Or in its verb form it means having knowledge of an event from personal firsthand observation. Can I ask you a question? How are you here today, church? And I don't mean like what car did you pull up in? Uh, Maybe you got a nice big truck or something. That's sweet. I want a truck someday. Um, But not what did you drive in, but how are you here? Did somebody tell you about it? Was it a friend or family member? Or or did you Google a a church and we got lucky that you showed up here? Because, man, thank the Lord for Google. Um, or maybe uh, you're a part of a, a group that we have that meets at our church called Sober Soldiers. Um, man, God is doing amazing things in the ministry uh, and so thankful for TJ, Cody, and CJ and what they're doing there. Um, but somebody potentially came to you and said these words, hey, you should check out my church. They're not like a normal church. Maybe that's one somebody said to you. <laughs> You know what you're doing when you, you're inviting someone to church, you're telling somebody about church, you're, you're witnessing right there. You're saying, hey, I've gone there before, and it's all right. Or, hey, I've gone there before, and it's awesome. I would love for you to join me. This is witnessing. You're putting yourself out there. You're making the invite pers- personal, and this room will not be filled without witnessing. This room will not grow without witnessing. Does anyone know what our purpose statement here is at a church? 
Did somebody say it? Loving God and people well. That's our purpose as a church. Witnessing is this. Witnessing is making sure that people know that God loves them well. I'm going to say that if our purpose is to love God and people well, witnessing is to making sure that people know that, that there is a God that loves them well. There's a God that's bigger. There's a God that's better. And this morning I want to take the look at the life of a man named Peter. Say Peter. Now say Simon. Not Simon says, but Simon is Peter. He has two names. Uh, and we're going to learn about why he has two names. Um, and I... <laughs> So we're learning today about Simon Peter, and and his life is perhaps the greatest redemption story ever recorded, and I love this story to my core. We're going to be reading in Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. It's entitled, The First Disciples. Verse 1, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him and listened to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats on the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, remember Simon, that's the one we're paying attention to, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said, Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. Verse 7, a shout for help brought their partners into the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and were on the verge of sinking. When Peter, or when Simon Peter realized What had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Verse 9, for he was awestruck by the number of fish they caught, as were the others with him. His partner, James and John, sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Verse 11. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I want you to understand a few things about Simon Peter. His job was a fisherman. He had a past. Fishermen in this day were considered manly men. They had hot tempers and vulgar language. They were sailors, right? You ever heard swearing like a sailor? That was him. They were most likely some of the most uneducated people there was in the time. And that leads me to my very first point, right? If you're taking notes, point one. Peter was a simple man, yet Jesus wanted him to be part of his inner circle. Peter had a past, yet became part of Jesus' inner circle. When Simon Peter encountered Christ's presence for the first time, he dropped everything and followed him. He gave up the only identity he had as a fisherman 
and put his full faith in Jesus. When I say he dropped everything, that means he left his family, his friends, his community, his job, dropped everything to follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When you drop everything, Jesus gives you a new name. A new name. Let's look at when Simon becomes Peter, when, when Christ gives him his actual new name. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, it says this, Peter's declaration about Jesus. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? Verse 14. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from your own human being. Verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And Jesus, you are given that new identity. And just like Simon, now Peter, you have the powers of heaven here on earth. Does this mean that life will be perfect from here on out? No. Or does this mean that you need to be a perfect person from here on out. No. Man, I know I'm not. There's too many amens there. <laughs> I hope you're amening yourself and not me. <laughs> My feelings got hurt for a second. God does not need perfect people to witness though, church. You know that? In Matthew, we just read it. Matthew 16 verse 18, Jesus calls Peter the rock on which he will build his church. What I didn't read, though, and we're going to now, is five verses later, right? So we're still in Matthew chapter 16, which is now jumping down to verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Five verses later, goes from being the rock on which God will build his church to saying, get away from me, Satan, because he's seeing things from a worldly perspective. What this proves is God did not say, get away from me forever. I cannot use you anymore. He says, stop viewing things with your worldly eyes. Peter's close-knit relationship with Jesus proves that he longs for an intimacy with his followers, normal people, just like you and me. Seeing how Jesus took an uneducated, sinful man and loved him infinitely gives us assurance that he can do that for us as well, right? Peter grew in maturity as a follower, but he still stumbled. Man, did he stumble. 
In Matthew 14, Peter is the guy that walked on water for a second. And then he stumbled and took his eyes off of Jesus and sank. In John 18, Peter had a temper and cut off a guard's ear. That's Peter as well. Or imagine real quick, what's the worst thing that you think you can do as a Christ follower? Deny Jesus. That's nailed it right there. Peter did it. Not just once, not twice, but three times. Denied Jesus, said, I don't know who that is. Peter made mistakes, but here's point two. When we make mistakes, God has made mercy. When we make mistakes, God has made mercy. You don't need to be perfect, West Des Moines, to witness. We're talking about witnessing. I have given you context to who Peter is. Let's check out how God used Peter to witness in Acts 2, verses 36 through 41. So let everyone of Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's word pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do now that we know who this Jesus is? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. This promise is to you, to your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord God. What does this mean? This means that the gospel is for you. It's for your family. It's for your friends. It's for your enemies. It's for your coworkers. It's for your neighbors. The gospel is for everyone. Verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching. For a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Grab this, verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. 3,000 in all. This is the first mass evangelism event that takes place in the Bible. The first mass witnessing that happens in the Bible. And the message is simple. Right? Repent. Turn away. Right? Repent from your sins and your old ways. Get baptized. And lastly, go tell others. This is what we're called to do as believers. To go tell others. It's the good news. We love to share good news. Right? When you get a promotion or a new job or you buy a house or whatever the good news is for you, we love to share it. This is the good news, church. And we're called to share it. I love Peter's life because he has so many mountaintops followed by a lot of valleys. It's easy to worship here, isn't it? When you're surrounded by 50 to 100 people worshiping with you. But when Monday hits and your coworker presses you a little too hard or someone cuts you off, my God, Lord help me, half hood, half holy. Uh, 
But Peter is not just a fair-weather fan of God. Acts 5 tells us that in verse 17, that Peter and the other apostles were thrown into a public jail for proclaiming the message of Jesus. And then down to verse 26, it says this, The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Verse 28, We gave you strict orders never again to teach of this man's name. They're talking about Jesus. He said, instead, you have filled all of Jerusalem with teaching him. Can we be a church that is known for filling all of West Des Moines and Des Moines and Iowa with the name of Jesus? Man, that would be a way to be known. And you want to make us responsible for his death? Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead and you killed him by hanging him on a cross. That's what we talked about on Easter last week. Then God put him in a place of honor at the right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey Him. Verse 33. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill Him. We're going to skip a couple verses down for time, but in these verses, basically, they bring in an outside person who's a little bit wiser than everyone, and they say, look, you got two options. Option one being... They're not worshiping the one true God. They're, they made up their God. And if that's the case, there's lots of people that did it before him. They'll fizzle out. So just leave them alone. Because option two is a lot worse. Option two is that they're serving the real God and then you kill him and then you're in some trouble. And then we go down to verse 40 where they're getting ready to re- release him. And it says this, verse 40. They accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41. Then the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. Verse 42, hear me. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. Peter's stumble as a Christ follower does not cancel his identity in Christ. He refused to stop witnessing. And I don't think it's a coincidence in the life of Peter that the first words that Jesus says to Peter and the very last words that he says to Jesus are the same. That's follow me. Follow me. And this message to Peter, which is the rock on which God will build his church, is follow me. Shouldn't we be a church built on that same principle? 
follow God. All of Peter's shortfalls did not disqualify him from being used by God. As I was writing this sermon over the past couple weeks, I was reminded when I was early into church leadership. And you're looking at me and you're like, you're like 15. You're probably still early into church leadership. (laughs) But I was reminded of a, a story of when I was serving at a church and a leader that I looked up to came up to me and was like, hey Noah, how do you think you are at your job? And I was like, I feel like I'm really good. I feel like I'm doing a great job. Like, I love what I'm doing. I'm having so much fun. And he looked at me and he said this back to me. He said, Noah, There's two types of people in this world. There's capable and there's available. We're using you because you're available. But the second somebody comes by that's more capable, we're going to replace them. (laughs) And this crushed me. Like, honestly, hear me. This crushed me as a person. This made me feel like, what am I even doing this for? Now I wear that. I don't wear it as a sense of arrogance, but I wear it from the perspective that I'm never going to be the most capable. Okay, Only through God am I capable, but Lord, I promise to live my life being available to where you call me, to where you lead me, to where you guide my family, and I promise to serve you for the rest of my days. In church, that's all we're asked to do. Right? That's all we're asked to do. Jesus chose passionate followers, not perfect people. He chose everyday people, not religious leaders. He chose those who were teachable and hungry, not scholars and experts. He chose men and women ready to serve, not proven leaders. He looked places no one else has looked. He saw things as people that no one else saw, and he empowered them to do ministry. He empowered them to do ministry. Be empowered with a simple gospel to love God and people well and to let others know that they are loved by God, that it's bigger than it all. That's why we preach this message every week. That's why we want to make sure you know our purpose here. Last point. If the enemy can't destroy your faith, he's going to try to dilute your calling. If the enemy can't destroy your faith, he's going to try to dilute your calling. He's going to try to make you doubt the things that God has already confirmed in him. He's going to try to make you doubt whether or not that was God talking or whether or not that was your mind playing tricks on This is why we have worked so hard to build a strong community. This is why we have all of these different community groups so that you're never alone. You can always go somewhere and say, hey, I'm struggling and I need someone to talk, a safe place. 
We have so many things going on throughout the week. We have a men's group. We have Harbor Women's Ministry. We have seasoned servants. We have young adults. We have sober soldiers. CJ and Carrie have their Monday night Bible study. Tuesday nights, we have gender-specific sober soldiers. Wednesday night, we have Bible study. Thursday night, sober soldiers. We have crafts with Lisa and tons of other community groups where our safe places that you can say, I have questions and I need somebody to walk through this with. You have a support system that can come alongside you and tell Satan to go to hell. Come alongside you and say, not in this place. To affirm and confirm that you are still worthy and called to be a witness. Isn't it amazing? God wanted to be sure that the whole world knew that when he gave his life for all, he meant all. He meant every single one of you. There's a reason you're in this room today. I don't believe it's by accident. And he used Peter, swearing, uneducated, probably stinky fisherman, to make this clear. To show us how big his love is and how capable his grace is. How big his love is and how capable his grace is. And that it can forgive all things and give us that everlasting. And it can make the kingdom of heaven new earth through your simple gospel. Loving God and people well. And making sure others know that they're loved well by God. I want to challenge you this week. Andrew hinted at it a little bit. I want to challenge you to witness. I want to get real practical, right? I want you to reach out to somebody. Look around this room who's normally here. And I want you to tell them you miss them. I don't want you to condemn them for not showing up to church. That's not what we're about. I want you to let them know that they are missed and they are loved. And that this would be better if they were here. And then I want you to do a second thing. I want you to reach out to someone who's still lost. And invite them. Someone who needs to know that there is a Savior that loves them. A Savior that is longing for them and searching for them. And I want you to send those texts before lunch. Can I challenge you to do that? And since I know all of you are going to do it, every single one, right? Amen? Here's how we witness. Witnessing is not yelling from the street corner. That is not witnessing. (laughs) Witnessing is this. Remember my opening statement as a salesman? That is witnessing. Witnessing is learning someone's name. That's crucial for witness. You want somebody to feel loved? Remember their name. I'm terrible with names. 
But I go above and beyond to try to remember names with everything in me. Remember their names. Offer a compliment. Man, that goes a long way. Find some common ground. Hey, I like coffee. You like coffee. Let's get coffee. I like burritos. You like burritos. Let's get a burrito. And man, be willing and be ready. Willing and ready. To tell a story about how Jesus changed your life. And last thing I want to remind you. Is be human. None of this matters if you're not human. Hear me. You don't need to invite someone to church the second you see them. Their soul is so much more important than them getting in this room. And I think people can get turned off to the idea of you only want to talk to me because you want to invite me to church. Be willing to disciple them a little bit more. And what does that look like? That looks like the coffee. That looks like maybe inviting someone into your own home to open your doors or to maybe meet them where they're at. Be human about it. (laughs) It'll go so much further. Man, my mom always said this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, she is. And be willing to show them that you care. Build that relationship. And to be a witness and to bear witness of who God is and how good He is. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, you are good. You are worthy to be praised. God, thank you for using a wreck like me. God, thank you for filling the voids where I'm not enough because you are not enough. You are enough. God, I pray for boldness for this church to be a witness for how good you are. God, I pray for peace. God, I pray for clarity, God. God, I pray that you would use this church. God, we are willing. God, we may not be the most capable, but Lord, we promise to be available for you. And God, strengthen us in our unbelief. God, allow us to be the community. God, allow us to be a church that goes and meets people's needs where they are. And God, allow us to be a witness of how good you are. And to share that message, the simple gospel, that there is a God that loves people no matter their past, present, or future. God, we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and bear witness today, church.